0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, Hello, everyone, and welcome to the dealmaker Show. So super excited about the founder that we have today. He actually did one of the largest exits in canada you know recently i think that we're going to be really enjoying you know how that journey went and how everything came about and then also what he's up to now you know really helping founders so without a doubt you know you're all going to find this very very inspiring so without further ado let's welcome our guest today james lockery welcome to the show thanks
1: Alejandro. great to be here
0: so you were born and raised in toronto but, uh, you know, definitely, you know, immigrant parents, I'm sure that you learned quite a bit there. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: You know, I think, it, you know, in hindsight, you look back after 50 years and, and uh, think about the challenge that people had to go through when they immigrated into a new country. And, you know, it was really about, you know, I, my parents did well. They, they didn't struggle, but they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't flush with cash. So it was always a bit of survival. And what I look back on now uh, as an adult and, and can see is the social structure that surrounds me as somebody that's grown up in this uh in this country, the support systems that I'm able to access, they didn't have that. Uh they didn't have that social um the family and, and everything else that helps, you know, just people be more successful as they continue to go through life. So they had to struggle through all that. And I think that was You know, one of the things that uh, when I look back at was one of the great helps for me just becoming a resilient person is looking back at how they had to struggle through certain things that are, you know, nothing terrible, but it's just the financial struggle, the social struggles, those kinds of things that they had to endure. Um, I don't have to do that. And that is something that has allowed me to be able to look into the future and say, I can achieve things. I can try things. I can take risks. I've got support systems. So I was really privileged to have that as a backdrop of something that gave me a value system that allowed me to to eventually get into the game of, of entrepreneurship and, and take the risks that I've taken.
0: And we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but let's talk about technology, because it sounds like technology is something that really captured your attention. And that was part of the studies that you did too.
1: Yeah, uh, really, it started uh, at, in my own house. My dad was a software uh, developer, worked for the Hydro uh, company in, in Canada or in Ontario. And, uh, and it, there was a introduction of computers and technology into my life at a, a young age. So I had that kind of lack of fear or, or anxiety around getting into this stuff. Uh, and fortunately, when I was a young kid, in between my home and my school, there was a radio shack and that's when the new the the personal computers came out the TRS 80 computer and i used to go and sit there and just hack away at keys uh, and try and figure out how to make video games on these machines. Uh, and then just continue to do that, uh, in school as well. But, uh, school and I just didn't, it was kind of like oil and water is, is I did well in school, but I just didn't enjoy it. And quite frankly, I don't think the teachers enjoyed me being there either very much. So, uh, I, I just had a hard journey through school. So most of what I learned in technology was self-taught or taught in an informal manner. And, uh, uh, it it actually I think that was the best thing for me to have that type of a uh, a journey through the 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 introduction of technology in my life because it made me very self sufficient in how I approach those things and it made me very curious it made me uh, somebody that was not afraid of jumping into new technologies trying new things and seeing what fits what doesn't so that that was kind of my I always have enjoyed technology and also hated it at the same time. Sometimes it's one of those things. You know, you're on these platforms. It's like, ah, how does this work? And Zoom isn't working. Um, but I love it and I hate it at the same time. It's uh, it's quite a dichotomy with when it comes to tech.
0: So with uh, with university, I mean, you you drop out. I'm sure that your parents were not very very excited about that, and I'm sure that for you, you know, that was the some uncertain times. And you know, in the end, you know, you you. You're that kind of guy that thrives, you know, in a certain time. So I think that what what happened there? You know, what happened there? And also, how was it for you to navigate, you know, all of all of that uncertainty?
1: Yeah, it was difficult because, you know, when I'm talking about when I'm 22, 23 years old, uh, I dropped out three times by then, which is kind of a testament to um, to my parents and their desire for me to get a degree and, and what society was expecting of me. Um, but After I made that decision that university was not going to be in my future, it really came down to how am I going to survive? I started a landscaping company, uh, did that for about a year. I really didn't like it. Uh, There was, you know, I kept burning my arms on exhausts and all this. I just didn't like it. It wasn't my thing. Um, And then I got a job in an accounting firm and a very low level job it was one of those things i got my foot in the door and it was i just needed to pay the rent and so that's what i did and i ended up staying at that company for 16 years and fortunately for me it was about every 3 years i was able to advance positions and move into something new and exciting uh, and eventually i i took a role in the technology team after spending a significant amount of time in the, in the operations of the accounting firm that switch Enabled me to understand how technology uh, worked in the operations of business, and uh, what I had learned previous was how business actually functioned, how finances functioned, how entrepreneurs thought, and uh, applying that technology uh, with that perspective into uh, into the accounting world was Really, a great learning experience, and it took me on a journey. Where uh, back in 2009, I ended up leaving the company and starting Wave, and it was based on a lot of the um, a lot of the learnings I had had over time around. Uh, how how entrepreneurs think how, what the data looks like uh how banking operates all of those things that I had learned in the, in both the operations and the technology role I was in uh, allowed me to come up with these concepts around uh, what wave eventually became uh, and it I don't want to take all the credit for it. It was a great team of people that came up with all the products and, and enhancements and all the things that we have within Wave today. But it was uh, really that starting point came from a journey of, of coming through traditional industry uh, and and then just figuring out some innovation.
0: Now, you did spend quite a bit of time there. I mean, it was a little bit over 16 years before, you know, you venture out into into really taking a stab at entrepreneurship. So... 16 years is is quite the time how how old were you when when you gave your notice
1: i was 38 38 wow. years
0: old yeah and uh, what what do you think what do you why i mean you had it in you i mean your your father also uh you know had the bug as well as an entrepreneur also but uh, you had it in you what do you think what, what what do you think it took so long uh
1: i think there was you know that's a great question. I struggle with that one. To be honest with myself with that question, I think part of it is was fear uh, of taking a risk. I think the uh, the longer I stayed, the harder it was to leave uh, because of uh, I had three young kids. They were in private school. They were in ski lessons. We had a nice home. All of the things that are the trappings of a job, uh, were at play there. But there was another aspect of just personal confidence and being able to take that risk. I think that's another piece of it that I had to overcome. And, you know, that 16 years, like I said, I was very fortunate to continue to move in in roles and responsibilities and and, uh, and the way that I was approaching the business I was in, which gave me a little bit of that entrepreneurial uh, energy that allowed me to be innovative in certain sections. But it got to a point where I kind of reached the top of where I was going to go and hit that ceiling and to burst to that next level, I had to leave. And uh, that I just got to the point where that was obvious. I think I actually, I, I remember sitting down and thinking to myself, I've got about 25, 30 years left of working. Uh, in doing whatever I want, if I stay in this job and I look back on fifty years working at this one one place, I was going to be incredibly unhappy with what I offered the world and I think that was one of the key moments where I was uh enabled myself to move forward
0: so two thousand and ten what What made it so obvious for you to take that leap?
1: um I think there was. Uh, a number of factors. There was the the kind of running out of headroom uh, at the company I was in, and that was a, a big motivator. There was a desire for for more energy. I wanted more energy in the things that I did. So there was there was an internal motivation that was percolating inside of me. But at the same time, I also noticed where things were happening. The internet was maturing. We were getting into the cloud-based uh, products that starting to emerge. I had seen there was uh, zero out of uh, New Zealand had launched this online accounting platform. QuickBooks Online had already started, but was a, a shell of what it is today. Uh, and there was about 100 other small little players in that market, maybe 200 others, uh, small little players in the in the online accounting space market. And um, we just came up with a concept that that, allowed us to utilize all the technological advances and the migration onto cloud-based tools that was happening in the market to come up with a tool that really focused on the small micro business owner and uh, enable them to have features and, uh, uh, and benefits that were traditionally only available to larger businesses that spent significant amounts of money on products. And so we came up with this business model and concept that uh, we thought would resonate to that group in the industry. Uh, and uh, once we launched it, kind of had a slow trickle of, you know, people coming in and then all of a sudden word started spreading and then it just took off. It's just word of mouth and um, and just uh, lack of different options in the market that served those people uh, really just drove the initial growth of the company.
0: And what ended up being the business model of Way for the people that are listening to get it? How were how you guys making money there?
1: Yeah, it's a financial services company. So basically, it is an online accounting platform uh, that has all the bells and whistles on it. So it's got the the general ledger and all the reporting and all that stuff that you, you need to have with bank feeds and reconciliation. It's got an invoicing platform, receipt scanning, uh, bill payment, uh, those kinds of things. And that was 100% free. And that was one of the key things that made Wave successful was we recognized where the product needed to be free and where we could make money off of it. And so uh, we, the first push into a monetization was payroll. And so we uh, we went into that first. We should have gone into that second. That was a mistake because it took a long time to, to monetize that tool. Um, but that was kind of our, our process. Bring on a whole bunch of business owners, uh, have them use our free products, have them use invoicing, start adding on, on things. And so we started with uh, payroll. That was our first pay one. Then we added a payment system, first using Stripe, then we built our own. Uh, and that was the massive growth engine of Wave. Uh, later on, we acquired a neobank. Uh, and now we have full the banking function inside of it. So it really is a online financial services tool that uh, small entrepreneurs can utilize in their business. And we typically look at $5 million uh, revenue size is probably our larger cu- customer base. Uh, we're typically in that smaller one or two employees, a you know, couple hundred thousand to $500,000 worth of revenue. Uh, but we just do it at massive scale, hundreds of thousands of millions of users.
0: And at what point do you realize this is taking off?
1: Uh, there was one point when uh the Chrome store had just emerged. Uh we had been, we had gotten some momentum on customer acquisition through um through search engines and, and some marketplaces and things like that. But the Chrome store had come along. We threw up a, a listing on there because we just decided to spam the world with, you know, our, our brand. And we started seeing quite a bit of traction coming out of the Chrome store. And that was surprising to us. And uh, so we doubled down, we made contact with them. We started building relationships with them. And then one day, Angry Birds, remember that old video game, Angry yeah. Birds? I, they, they put up their first web, uh, web instance of the game and it was on the Chrome store. And so we had this massive Angry Birds banner and right below it was Wave. And we just saw an immense amount of customer acquisition come through that channel over a significant amount of time. Um, and so like half of our traffic was coming from there and we started seeing a thousand new businesses every day 1500 and it you know it was just this level of customer acquisition in this market that had never been seen before and it was because we just had the right type of product free um, we had pretty good engagement of those free users and uh, and we knew how to acquire them uh, we knew how to talk to them to get them to come and visit our site. And uh, that was really the, the key to it, was giving them a product that they normally wouldn't pay for for free and then finding ways to monetize it on top of it. And it's pre- pretty straightforward freemium model.
0: And how much capital did you guys raise to date uh, prior to the acquisition? I mean, pr- prior to the acquisition happening, how much capital was raised?
1: Uh, it was about 100 million US uh, that we raised.
0: And that was a very interesting cap table, too, that you guys had, you know, first funds, strategics. I mean, how, how did they all blend together and what kind of value were you able to, to get from them?
1: Yeah, you know, it was, um, you know, Omer's Ventures up here in Canada, one of Canada's largest venture investors, was our first investor. They invested in the seed round uh, of the company and we were their very first investment ever. Uh, So we had this very young venture firm, and that was unique in that we actually had three partners sit on our board as they continued to mature what they were doing internally. Um, They were changing people in and out. So we had three people on the board through them. Great investors, though. Really supportive, 100% always there for us. Um, then we had our series A, and that was Dev.Ulikar out right, of um, CRV who led that. So CRV is a, I don't know, I'm not sure, 40, 50 year old firm. They know how to do business really, really well. They have their philosophies, they stick to them. Every partner talks the same. Uh, and their ability, and especially Dev. Dev. Dev's a, a just a beautiful human being. His ability to be supportive yet very transparent in his communication. He, he wasn't nice. Uh, he was supportive. And and that support was really based on his desire to see us be successful as a partner. And uh, that was, you know, really a, a refreshing person to have in the boardroom. Uh, and then we had uh, Chamath Palahapitiya's fund, uh, Social Capital, come in and lead the Series B. And so another first-time fund uh, at the time. Uh, so there was a a partner switch that happened in there as well. And so having these dynamics uh, at that level kind of play out with two first-time funds and one very mature fund, uh, I would say having Charles River Ventures in the middle of that sandwich was crucial to our success. And DevDA in particular being crucial to our success and being able to keep the conversations flowing, keep the everybody on side, everybody focused on what we wanted to do without the drama of, of uncertainty that happens in first-time funds uh, coming and landing on our table. Uh, so that was really a, a great stretch. And then as we got more mature, we added strategics like ADP, the payroll company, um, RBC, uh, Royal Canadian Bank, the largest company in Canada, was an investor in, a, in WAVE, and Australian National Bank, as well as a number of other uh uh funds around the world uh participated in in some of our later financing as well.
0: Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So, I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process, and it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super super difficult. So, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C, all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. And what did you learn there? I mean, some big names, you know, about board dynamics and then also managing effectively a board.
1: Yeah, I think that that is something that, you know, when I look at Kirk, uh, my co-founder, he was CEO of the company. He had to really ramp up in his ability to do that as the CEO. And uh, uh, my role in that was to support him as much as I possibly could to manage our board. There's a lot of big um, personalities on our board. uh, And it really came down to just Having a mindset of this is our company. This is our company that we're running that you guys have been invited into, that we need your support and ideas and your uh, your feedback, whether it's critical or or not. We need that. But it really is our company. And we're going to tell you what we want. And then you can give us the feedback instead of you telling us what you want and us providing the feedback. And I think that was a big shift that happened probably halfway through the company, probably into 2015, 2016, where I felt like um, there was just a lot more. Um, we had just more handle on the board just by changing that perspective. And, of course, adding in other people around uh, the organization to help us manage the board with reporting and communication and and doing things Uh, the right way instead of us being first-time founders trying to figure it out on the fly. So that was also very helpful. But, you know, I think board management, once you get to that state, uh, you know, once you're in the Series C, Series D level, can become complicated because there are some big personalities that can sit around the table.
0: And let's talk about the acquisition. You know, obviously, for you, first company, first exit. And obviously, not just any exit one of the largest there in Canada, over four hundred million of an exit, you know, quite a quite an outcome. So tell us give us an insider, you know, seat on on how that came about.
1: So it was H and R block that that ended up uh buying us in an all cash deal and Um, we had been talking to them for about eight years. Uh, we had made that connection up in Canada first, and then there was some dalliances with their U S arm over the years, uh, but nothing ever stuck. We couldn't figure out how to work together. There was, um, there was an opportunity at one point, but they chose another provider and all this stuff that, which I believe failed, uh, with that provider. And then we were in market and we were raising our series E with the idea of that taking us to a public exit. And we had actually signed the term sheet with an investor. I don't remember who they are and I wouldn't name them anyways, but uh, we'd actually signed the term sheet and then the offer comes in. And there was this really unusual time that happened in the company where we needed more capital in the company to execute our plans. And uh, we also had this offer come in. So, we had this timing where we were like, well, if we could say no to that 40 million bucks that we've already got a term sheet on. But if the deal falls through, we're in big trouble. We're, we're going to have to raise capital in a very short period of time. And so there was this dance around how we make this happen with h r Block. And H&R Block was a great partner through that uh, in understanding where we were and what their interests were in us. And uh, they ended up taking the risk off the table for us. And so uh, they actually uh, came in and, and made sure that we didn't have any capital risk should the deal fall through. And uh, and then it was just, you know, it was about dotting the I's and crossing the T's at that point. And, and you know, there was some back and forth on price and all that stuff and all the terms, but uh, it was fairly straightforward. I'm not sure if Kirk would say the same thing, uh, but from what my, the seat I was sitting in, it seemed to go fairly smoothly with some some limited exceptions.
0: Was it a long process? How long would, would you say it took from beginning to end? I want
1: to say it was the end of March. So about this time in 2019, so about March 28th, thereabouts, 2019. And then uh, we closed, I believe it was June 28th. Uh, so about three months from, from uh, the time we, we said yes to the, or what the interest came into the time we closed.
0: Wow. And one of the largest exits in Canada. Eh, like the son of immigrants. How incredible. I mean, anything that you did, you know, when 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 everything was said and done, anything that you always wanted to do that you were able to do or not?
1: Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh I bought a poker table for uh for my house downstairs because I love playing poker, especially with uh with friends in a in a really uh comfortable environment. So I, I got that all set up. Uh but most importantly, that gave me the firepower to be able to do what I'm doing now, and that was to uh, to continue investing in with other entrepreneurs and the projects they were working on, and um, that's where I've applied almost all of my capital is into that. I, you know, sure I've spoiled myself in, in little ways here and there, but the uh, the most important thing that I do is get out of bed and work with entrepreneurs it's it's a passion of mine i really enjoy it it's something that gives me energy i love being around them i love working on the problems with them i love working with my team and helping the entrepreneurs and that amount of capital allowed me to take risks in those areas and that's where i've been spending my time since the exit
0: so in 2016 you decide to move and basically you know you started you know taking a look at as you were saying you know at investing in companies and and one thing led to the next, and here you are, you know, right now with your next company, which is a Thinner Labs. So, um, so basically, in a, in a nutshell, so that the people that are listening, you know, really understand what you're up to nowadays, what is Thinner Labs? What are you guys up to?
1: Uh, we are a very early seed stage uh, investor. We'll invest in the seed stage uh, as our first check. Uh, we'll continue investing through the seed stage and we will uh, we'll do a pro rata on a Series A. Um, and that's really where we focus on is helping entrepreneurs who have great ideas um, and just want a partner to help them build the business through that seed stage all, all the way through to Series A and beyond. And so that's what we focus on is really just finding those great entrepreneurs who are working on game-changing problems at global scale. And trying to find ways where our capacity or capabilities could help augment their success. And that's all we do is focus on the entrepreneur and their success. And we take all of our ego out of it because the only thing that matters in the economics of our business is the success of our founders. And so that means their personal success, you know, with their families, we care about what's going on in their lives. It means their business success. Are they growing you know, I always talk to my entrepreneurs about the J curve of growth that happens in these startups. That's also the J curve of growth that has to happen in the CEO and founder team. And, uh, and if it doesn't, that's when bad things happen. So it's about helping them understand that journey while r- realizing it's all about them. It's all about their company. It's all about their vision. It's all about their team. It's got really nothing to do with us other than the fact that we can help. And uh, capital is a piece of that and we we think about capital uh as one of the tools in the toolbox that helps companies grow even though it is the the economic engine of what we do is making these types of investments um it really is only one piece of the pie and that's something that i've learned through uh working with great investors over over the years is that it it really does take that extra step it takes that you know empathy for the founder it takes that support of the founder and that genuine like truly genuine desire to see them successful. And, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by entrepreneurs most of my life. And, um, it just, this comes naturally to me. This is where I want to spend my time. And, uh, so that's what we do here.
0: So you were talking about great ideas and great entrepreneurs, and obviously you are all about investing, you know, on those at a seed stage where both of those two things, you know, are combined and, you know, essentially they come together. No, now, What does a great idea look like and also what does a great entrepreneur look like based on, you know, that pattern recognition that, you know, perhaps now you have after seeing so much?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. It's, uh, you know, there's no magic sauce there, you know, around figuring out what is the perfect entrepreneur. Typically, what we see in our entrepreneurs are like a huge amount of energy. Like That's the, the first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, a level of domain expertise around the problem set that they're solving and a rationale for the reason for them to be the ones to solve it. You know, there's, there's typically a personal story there. And then when they talk about their business, there's a way that entrepreneurs that I tend to invest in talk about their business. And it's about the future. And it's an opportunistic and optimistic future. And instead of talking about the past or what the challenges might be, they tend to skip over those types of things and and focus on what could be rather than what is or what what the constraints of what could be, might be. So it's really about that optimism that's really flowing from them that we recognize as one of the key components of uh, great entrepreneurs. Uh, it's not. It's obviously not the only thing because people that are delusional like myself can be optimistic too. So the, uh, um, but that that's kind of the the key thing when it comes to ideas though. It really is about are we doing a step change in function? All right. So one of our companies is a cancer detection company. Uh, they've been working on this problem for fifteen years. Uh, recently come to market now approved in twenty four countries, and the step change that they're bringing to market is it's a blood test. For breast cancer. And it's also one that can detect cancer at the earliest stages. So when you think about breast cancer and mammography and detection today, we are leaving out a huge section of the population uh, out of care. These people are taking this test and, and creating a differentiated type of care that could happen in cancer detection. And that step-level change in technology is what we're looking for. We're not looking for incrementalism. We're looking for that next big leap. And we want it to happen at a global scale. Having companies built in Canada, you can have some kind of um, perspective around, it. we want to win our backyard or we want to be the best in Canada, those types of things. Typically, we don't invest in those kinds of companies. We look at companies that can help people around the world with their products or service.
0: I love that. Now... It sounds like you guys are pretty good when it comes to uh, risk management and helping your companies, you know, de- mitigating with whatever is in front of them and they de- risking or helping them to the risk, the path forward. I mean, right now there is a lot of stuff happening out there in the world, you know, like a lot of uncertainty, the macro environment is pretty rough. So what kind of advice, you know, can, can you give to the people that are tuning in now and that are worried?
1: Yeah, you know, I think this comes down to what's happening today is a lot about balance sheet risk, right? And uh, how healthy your balance sheet is uh, versus the milestones you need to try and achieve to get to your next stage. And um, over the past five-ish years, excluding last year, there's just been so much capital in the system, whether that's venture dollars, venture debt, other, other uh, types of debt uh, that have kept a lot of companies very comfortable. And comfortable in early stage companies isn't necessarily a good thing. And so when I look at what we're doing today versus what we were doing previously around balance sheet risk, it's not that different today versus what we were doing before. Because when you're investing in the early stage, a lot of times you're making investments and you've got maybe 12 months of runway, 18 months worth of runway, somewhere in that ballpark. But the milestone you need to achieve is so significant product market fit or a huge technical challenge that you have to overcome or a regulatory hurdle that you have to meet. Uh, those big, big chunks are, are really hard to do in short time periods. So balance sheet management is something that we really focus on in the early stages and just managing your balance sheet to that next investment milestone so that you're not caught short. And the only difference today versus what we've been doing previously is the expectation is that it ne- your your balance sheet needs to last longer than it did before because capital isn't necessarily as available. So it's really just about timing that we think about. We've been scared of this stuff like from the beginning. So, you know, the, the, the fear that's hitting the market, the uncertainty that's hitting the market over the last year is something that we deal with every single day and we're used to it. So um, it really is just about ensuring you're doing the right things at the right time and making the right decisions when it comes to uh, capital risk.
0: So obviously, you know, at this point in the game, you've seen a lot, you know, not only as an investor, but also as an operator, as a founder yourself. I guess if I was to put you into a time machine, James, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about taking the leap at 38 years old, and you had the opportunity of having a chat with that younger self and being able to give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: the uh the one thing that i would say uh that i look back on and say i could have or should have done differently it was very personal it was look after yourself in balance with looking after your business and when i say that i mean all the things from you know i neglected my exercise i neg- ne- neglected my sleep i neglected my um my nutrition i neglected my friendships i neglected my marriage i re- neglected my children at some t- points uh It's trying to figure out how to create more balance. And uh, that was one of the things as a more mature person now, I look at and really structure my day around is making sure that I am the best version of myself every day that I wake up and have those things working for me. Because when they weren't working for me in the business, it just creates this drag on you. And, uh, and I recognize it now that was probably one of the larger things I struggled with unknowingly during the build out of, of the early stages of wave is I just worked my tail off, just trying to achieve and neglected everything else. And that was 100% the wrong thing to do. Um, and it just wasn't, uh, something I wanted to repeat. So that's the one piece of advice I would give is just to find that balance and it doesn't have to be equal. You have to give yourself a little bit, uh, to make sure that you're, you're showing up for yourself.
0: Wow. That is that is very profound, James. Now, for the people that are that are listening that would love to reach out and, and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, you can reach me at James at thinairlabs.ca. Uh, I'm on Twitter, James Lockery. That's probably the best way to reach
0: out. Amazing. Well, hey, James, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Well, I appreciate it. The honor is mine.